Chapter 35 of Darkness and Daylight, or Lights and Shadows of New York Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Darkness and Daylight, or Lights and Shadows of New York. Chapter 35 by Thomas Burns. Scientific Burglars and Expert Cracksmen How Bank Vaults and Safes Are Opened and Robbed The Tools, Plans, Operations, and Leaders of Highly Bred Criminals The ways of making a livelihood by crime are many, and the number of men and women who live by their wits in New York City reaches into the thousands. Some of these criminals are very clever in their own peculiar line, and are constantly turning their lawless qualities to the utmost pecuniary account. Robbery is now classed as a profession, and in place of the awkward and hangdog-looking thief of a few years ago, we have today the intelligent and thoughtful rogue. There seems to be a strange fascination about crime, that often draws men of brains, who have their eyes wide open, into its meshes. Many people, and especially those whose knowledge of criminal life is purely theoretical, imagine that persons who adopt criminal pursuits are governed by what they have been previously, and that a criminal life once chosen is, as a rule, adhered to, or, in other words, a man once a pickpocket is always a pickpocket, or once a burglar, always a burglar. Hardly any supposition could be more erroneous. Primarily there are, of course, predisposing influences which have a certain effect in governing choice. A man of education, refined habits, and possibly a minimum of courage, would not be likely to adopt a criminal pursuit requiring brute force and nerve. Such a one would be far more likely to become a forger or counterfeiter than a highway robber. Still, under certain circumstances, he might be either, foreign as they would be to his nature. Criminal occupation, however, is, like everything else, progressive. Two things stand in the way of the beginner in crime who seeks to reach what he considers the top rungs of the criminal ladder. The first is lack of experience and skill. The second, lack of confidence in him or knowledge of him by the older and more practiced hands, whose cooperation is generally necessary to the commission of a great crime. But the confidence of more experienced criminals is gained slowly. The few very successful rogues who have attained exalted rank in the criminal profession despise the thousands of other criminals who live by the commission of petty crimes. Aware of their superiority, these old and experienced rascals are overbearing to a last degree when chance brings them in contact with thieves of a lower order. Hence, if the novice in crime cannot by the force of his own genius strike out for himself some new line of forgery, confidence operations, embezzlements, or others of the class of crimes 
dependent upon brains, adroitness, and address for their success. He generally enters the arena of crime as a common thief, one of the class who will steal anything from a needle to a ship's anchor. With increased knowledge of the practice of crime gained by experience, aided by natural adaptability for special methods of preying upon the community, and sometimes assisted by the advice and cooperation of older criminals with whom he comes in contact, whose confidence he gradually acquires, a petty general thief may become one of a gang of pickpockets, and from a pickpocket in course of time may suddenly come to the front as a first-class bank burglar. Cracksmen of this class head the list of mechanical thieves. It requires rare qualities in criminal to become an expert bank safe robber. Thieves of this high grade stand unrivaled among their kind. The professional bank burglar must have patience, intelligence, mechanical knowledge, industry, determination, fertility of resource, and courage, all in high degree. But even if he possess all these, they cannot be utilized unless he can find suitable associates or gain admission to one of the already organized gangs. Sometimes the arrest of a single man belonging to an organized gang will put a stop to the operations of the remainder for a long time, simply because they need another man and can find nobody they can trust. Bank burglars have been known to spend years in unwearied preparation for the commission of a great crime, gleaning necessary information of the habits of bank officials, forming advantageous acquaintances, and making approaches to the coveted treasure all the time, but with patience to wait until everything was ready before striking a blow. The construction of a massive bank safe provided, as they now are, with electric alarms, combination and time locks, and other protective appliances, is such that none but a mechanical genius can discover its weak points and attack it successfully. There is not a safe in use today that is absolutely burglar-proof, notwithstanding the fact that many manufacturers advertise and guarantee those of their build as such. Every now and then, safe makers quietly alter the internal construction of their vaults, and these changes are brought about by the achievements of some scientific robber. Just as soon as a safe builder learns that burglars have discovered a defect in vaults of his make, New designs are made to make them secure against like attack. The wrecking of every safe, therefore, by burglars, reveals a weakness in its construction, and necessitates alterations which, of course, later on, make the work of the vault opener more difficult. A large number of safes are turned out of the factories weekly, and a calculating burglar, when he has discovered a defect in a certain pattern, will delay exposing his secret to the manufacturer until thousands of the seemingly strong yet frail vaults have been made and are in use. That ensures him something to operate upon, for he well knows that after his first success is reported at the safe factory, 
improvements in the construction of that particular safe will be in order. The proficiency attained by bank burglars and the apparently comparative ease with which they secure the contents of massive vaults are the results of constant and careful study. All the resources, ingenuity, and cunning of the cracksmen who make bank wrecking a specialty are put to the test in such an undertaking, and plans follow plans until at last one is matured which circumstances may warrant as safe, feasible, and profitable. Then the accomplishment of the scheme only depends on nerve, daring, and mechanical tools. Some burglars make their own outfit, but almost any blacksmith will furnish any tool he is called upon to make, if its construction is within his capacity, without asking any questions about the uses to which it is to be put, provided he gets his price for it. It is more than probable that he guesses the use for which it is intended, but that, he thinks, is not his business, and he is not given to asking questions when he is well paid for his skill. The making of such implements is, as a rule, confined to those mechanics who are actually in league with the criminals who expect to use them. The heavy and unwieldy tools of years ago have been abandoned by modern bank robbers for newer inventions. Some bank thieves use the spirit lamp and blowpipe to soften the hardened metals and take the temper out of the steel vault doors or cases, while others use only a small diamond-pointed drill. Others, who do not care to spend time in manipulating the intricate combination of a lock, use simple machines technically called the drag and jack screw. The drag, simple as it looks, is extremely powerful and very quiet. By means of a bit, a hole is bored through a safe door. A nut is set inside. The point of the screw passes through the nut, which rests inside the surface that has been bored, then the screw is turned by a long handle, which two men can operate. As the screw turns, the nut is forced farther and farther forward. It is a power that hardly any safe can resist, no matter how well constructed. Either the back or the front must give away. The jack screw is rigged so that by turning it, will noiselessly force into the crack of a safe door a succession of steel wedges, first one as thin as a knife blade, soon one as thick as your hand, and so on, increasing in size until the hinges give way. Where the size or location of the safe or vault to be forced precludes the use of these machines and an explosion becomes necessary, dynamite and nitroglycerine are used with the greatest skill, and with such art in the deadening of sound that sometimes an explosion which rends asunder a huge safe cannot be heard twenty yards away from the room in which it takes place. The patient safe robber is aware of several ingenious ways of picking combination locks. In following their nefarious calling, these men acquire a delicacy of 
feeling by which they are able to determine to a nicety the exact distance necessary to raise each tumbler of the lock. The burglar masters a combination with almost mathematical accuracy, and manipulates the complex machinery of the lock with the same dexterity and precision that a music teacher touches the keys of a piano. He is trained to detect one false note in a swelling chorus produced by the click of reverberating ratchets within the lock and marks the period and duration of the drops. When he comes across some new kind of lock, he will manage to get possession of one, whatever its cost, and whatever roundabout means may be necessary to get hold of it, and taking a part, will study its construction until he knows its strong and weak points, and how to master it just as well as its inventor or maker could. He is always on the alert to utilize every new appliance of power and the furtherance of his nefarious purposes. The combination lockpicker is the cleverest of all the fraternity of lockworkers. His is a life of study and careful experimenting. He proceeds to fathom the mystery of a new and intricate piece of mechanism with the same enthusiastic yet patient attention and study that actuates a scientist in search of more useful knowledge. Having acquired the mastery over any combination lock, the burglar guards his secret jealously. Gaining access to the bank or building, he can tell at once the character of the combination lock he has to deal with, and that with him is tantamount to opening the safe or vault. Having rifled the safe of its contents, he closes the door and begins to make arrangements to deceive the officials of the institution and the detectives. The crevices of the safe doors are filled with putty, with the exception of a small orifice in the upper or horizontal crevice, through which powder is blown into the safe by means of a small bellows. The hole is then closed, a slow fuse which is inserted into the crack is set on fire and the building is vacated. Half an hour or so later, the fuse ignites the powder, and the safe door is shattered from its strong fastenings. For fifteen years, the manner in which a celebrated combination lock was picked by thieves was involved in mystery, during which time many honest bank employees suffered in reputation, and not a few were imprisoned. The criminals who operated so mysteriously upon the safes never took all the money or valuables. In many cases, they helped themselves to but a small percentage of the proceeds, and it was this ruse that threw the officials off their guard and brought the employees into disrepute. The burglars familiarized themselves with the make and patterns of the locks, and then bored a hole within a short distance of the spindle that held the tumblers. With the use of a common knitting needle, the tumblers were then dropped one after another, and the safe door opened. The secret of another ingenious method of opening safes at last leaked out. The paying teller of an eastern bank, having been absent at lunch, returned earlier than was his custom and discovered a strange man on his knees, tampering with the dial of the combination. The man turned out to be a member of a successful and dangerous gang of burglars. His arrest was the means of leading to the knowledge of the fact 
that the gang had been systematically picking a patent combination lock by removing the dial and placing a piece of paper behind it, so that when the safe was opened, the combination registered its secret upon the paper. The thieves next watched their opportunity to gain possession of the paper, and when this was accomplished, the safe and its contents were entirely at their mercy. Every gang of bank burglars has its recognized leader, whose word is law. He is a man of brains, possessed of good executive ability, sleek and crafty. The care with which he arranges plans for getting into bank vaults, often spending years in preparation, illustrates the keenness of his perception and his depth of thought. Every little detail is considered and followed so as to allay suspicion and permit him to get closer to his prize. The inception of a bank burglary invariably dates back for a long time before the consummation of the crime, and in some cases the interior drawings of the building and plans of the vaults made at the time of their erection have for twenty years passed through the hands of several gangs of burglars as the sole legacy of some crafty leader. If provided with such important information, and the plundering of the institution is decided upon, the standing of the concern and the value of the securities kept in the vault are first ascertained. Should these prove satisfactory, the conspiracy gets underway. Next, some inquiries are necessary as to the mechanical part of the work to be done. The name of the maker of the vault, the size of the lock by which it is protected, and if electrical appliances guarded, must all be known and are very easily learned. The burglars generally hire a store adjoining the institution, from which they can operate the better, and in some instances they have gone so far as to rent the basement of the bank, or rooms overhead. They may fit up the place as an oyster saloon, billiard room, shoemakers, barbers, or tailor's shop or start a dental establishment. While thus ostensibly managing a legitimate business, the leader of the gang employs none but the best workmen, sells fine goods, pays his rent regularly, seems anxious for custom, is pleasant to all, and makes himself a most desirable tenant. And his landlord has in more than one instance been the president of the bank against which this bland and good-natured tenant was secretly plotting. After a few weeks' steady attention to business, he naturally becomes acquainted with the bank clerks, and passes much of his spare time in conversation with them, and thereby manages to gain their confidence. Being a good judge of human nature, he is thus able to survey the institution, obtain all the inside information he desires, and sometimes gains an important ally in his nefarious undertaking. If he can tamper with or corrupt one of the clerks or watchmen, the job is plain sailing. As soon, however, as the scheme becomes known to an outsider, the leader, fearing treachery, hastens matters as rapidly as possible. Should the mechanical part of the work have been figured down, and the combination be at the mercy of the robbers, the final work is generally completed between Saturday night and Sunday morning. By cutting through the dividing partition wall, ceiling, or floor, 
aided by powerful jimmies. The bank burglar and his assistants find no difficulty in getting into the bank. Then, the wrecking of the vault begins, and in a short time, the treasure that it contains is in the possession of the cracksmen. The task completed, the burglars carry their booty into the adjoining store, or perhaps the basement below the ransacked institution, and at a proper time, remove it to a much safer place. Almost simultaneously with the discovery that the bank vault was not as secure as it was supposed to be, it is learned that the affable businessman who ran the oyster saloon or billiard room next door, or made changes in the barber's or shoemaker's shop in the basement, or superintended the extracting of teeth overhead, has suddenly abandoned his expensive fixtures and stock and left for parts unknown. He has realized thousands for every dollar that he invested, and in most cases he leaves in a lurch the mean tool who betrayed his trust in the hope that he will reap a rich reward by revealing to a professional robber the secrets of the institution that honored him with its confidence. Some bank burglars devote most of their time and attention to the cashier of the bank that they have made up their minds to rob. They track him to his home, gain access to his sleeping room at night, either by collusion with one of the servants or by picking the door locks or springing a window, and having obtained the keys of the bank, take impressions of them in wax. Duplicates are easily made from these casts, and at the first opportunity the bank is safely plundered. Should, however, the cashier be disturbed by the intrusion of the cracksman into his apartment, the burglars will be forced to make an attempt upon the bank at that night. Securing possession of the keys by threats, a couple of men will be left to guard the cashier, while the other members of the band would proceed to the bank and rob it. And several instances, desperate robbers, under threats of instant death, have compelled the cashier whom they have surprised to accompany them to the bank and open the vault. Although ordinary store-safe robbers are a grade below the bank burglar, an expert one is always regarded as an important acquisition by an organized band of cracksmen. When the store-safe burglar ascertains that a certain business firm is in the habit of keeping a large sum of money in its safe, it does not take him long to decide to rifle it. Before the establishment closes on Saturday, one and sometimes two members of the band manage to conceal themselves in an empty room, sometimes hiding in a packing box within the premises, and when the building has been closed for the night, they admit their confederates. The door is locked again, and the cracksmen lose no time in getting to work. The most reckless of the safe robbers use explosives, but the patient and careful operator either manipulates the combination or noiselessly wrecks the vault by leverage. The men who resort to explosives are known to their associates as blowers. They are daring and desperate fellows, and acquainted with the use of the drill and high explosives. It is a hazardous undertaking to shatter a safe in a large city, but in country towns where there is no police patrol system, these men still manage to make an occasional haul. 
The rattle made by a train on the elevated railroad one night, a few years ago, deadened the noise made by blowing off the doors of two safes in a post office station along that line. The noise made by the jolting of a lot of empty milk cans on a cart, which was purposely driven at a furious pace through the street, led to like results. In a neighboring city, but a few years ago, on a 4th of July, a gang of blowers undertook to shatter a safe in a jewelry store, while a confederate was exploding several packs of large firecrackers for the amusement of a number of children who had assembled in front of the place. Too large a charge of powder had been placed in the safe, and a tremendous explosion followed. Large panes of glass were blown out of the front windows, and the vault was badly wrecked. The explosion instantly attracted attention, and the robbers ran away in the hope of escape. They were pursued and captured. The breaker requires in his work a good assortment of tools, and as they are all made of the hardest steel, a complete outfit is quite expensive. He is generally a cool, calculating criminal, who quietly and deliberately perfects his plans, and, after securing the booty, takes great pains to destroy all evidence that might lead to his detection. With the aid of diamond-pointed drills, he is able to bore holes into the hardest known metals. Through these small openings, he inserts the pick, but if the lock cannot be sprung in that way, a ponderous jimmy is inserted. Then, the tearing begins, and... The leverage being immense, the safe is unable to stand the strain, and finally yields. Some of the leading store safe burglars use tools known as the puller and the hydraulic jack. A gang of breakers recently made thousands of dollars, robbing post office and store safes in all parts of the country. Their manner of operating demonstrated that they were an expert cracksman, in all their robberies, they drilled a small hole through the door of the safe near the combination, and through the narrow opening, they inserted some instrument which never failed to slide the bolts back. The entire operation was marvelous for its neatness and dispatch. It has been said of a successful criminal at present serving out a term of imprisonment that, given 20 minutes alone with a safe, he can open the most intricate lock that was ever devised. And, given merely the name of the safe-maker, he can tell you instantly all the parts in the lock and give a diagram of its mechanism. He never breaks a lock, he simply finds out the combination inside of 20 minutes, opens the safe, and takes out what he wants, and relocks it. And when the owner returns, he finds the safe apparently just as he left it. To accomplish his work, this expert criminal uses three ordinary wires, which he forces into the lock about the handle in such a way that the number of the combination is reduced to 24. He reasons that all persons in locking a safe make a certain number of moves, and a knowledge of this fact enables him to reduce its probable combinations to two or three movements. These two or three movements he finds out by actual trial which consumes the greater part of his twenty minutes. Should the safe stand in an apartment that is in full view of the street, he drops a little quicklime on the floor, 
pours water on it, and the steam that arises effectually cloaks the windows. In three instances, he unlocked safes, abstracted the contents, relocked them, and made off in the time that the men who were in charge of them were at their dinner. In several of the principal cities of this country, there are old criminals who have become tired of operating, and now occupy their time experimenting and teaching young thieves the art of safe robbing. These men are practical machinists who have learned the mysteries of the craft and the weak points of safes while in the employ of money vault manufacturers. They plan many, if not all, of the out-of-town jobs, for which they receive a percentage of the proceeds. They are thus able to live well and keep beyond the reach of the law. They never permit any of their pupils to operate in the city in which they dwell, but direct their movements throughout the surrounding country. Whatever plunder the young rogues secure has to be converted into cold cash before they are allowed to return to their old haunts. There are other men who spend their time in taking impressions of store locks, and for a duplicate key to a business establishment, demand a percentage of the plunder. Some years ago, one of these men learned that the confidential clerk employed in a bank was infatuated with gambling, and he made his acquaintance at the gaming table. One night, the crafty rascal said that he had forgotten his keys and was anxious to unlock the drawer of a desk standing in one corner of the room. On the top of the desk lay a thick sheet of blotting paper that had been thoroughly saturated with water. The unsuspecting clerk loaned his keys, and while he was wholly absorbed in the game, his companion pressed the flat part of the key into the blotting paper and also pressed it sideways, thus securing a perfect impression of the key and its thickness. Then he handed the keys back to the clerk, who thought no more of the matter. From the impression thus secured, a duplicate key to the safe was manufactured, and with it, a month or so later on, the vault was easily plundered. A large hall was secured in this case, and for years, suspicion pointed to the confidential clerk as a thief. Store burglars, who make a business of stealing goods, are generally men of fair education, and in planning and committing a theft, they often display considerable shrewdness. To this class, thieving seems to be a natural gift, and they are not ordinarily anxious to rise to the higher grades of crime. They vary in their manner of operating. Some prefer to steal silks or velvets. Others have a fondness for silverware, jewelry, and diamonds. And others take anything they can lay their hands on. The sort of plunder taken indicates the standing of the thieves. In the carrying off of bulky booty, great risks are run, but the men who steal cash have but little to fear except discovery, just as they are leaving the scene of their crime. This rarely happens, and should they be afterwards arrested for the burglary, there is but little chance of ever legally fastening the offense upon them. End of chapter 35